there's a whole thread or, or side topic about candidates being ghosted. I actually find that somewhat offensive because <laughs> as recruiters, most of us are in this field because we actually are in it to help people. Welcome to another episode of Hiring Behind the Scenes. This is where we lift the curtain on the hiring process by talking to recruiters and hiring managers in an effort to demystify the job search process and help you better understand how hiring decisions get made. Today, I'm talking to Patrick Payne. Patrick is currently the global head of talent acquisition at StockX and has been recruiting for over 20 years. He's seen a lot of change in this industry and has also experienced lots of different recruiting contexts. We talk about the evolution of the processes and practices from even like calling into companies and pretending you're a vendor so you could try to poach someone. We talk about the various types of recruiting from high volume to executive and everything in between, even campus recruiting. And then we go on a really interesting dialogue around how the pandemic and the comfort with virtual meetings has changed interviewing and honestly recruiting and job searching forever. It's a really interesting discussion. We get a little more theoretical than we have in other episodes, and uh, I really hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Hiring Behind the Scenes. This week, we are with Patrick Payne, who I was saying before the show has an awesome comic book name, so uh, you can't forget it, Patrick Payne. But Patrick's got over 20 years of experience in recruiting and recruiting in tech, and so we're going to talk about all sorts of really cool stuff. But Patrick, better that you tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, awesome. Hey, Dave, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be on Hiring Behind the Scenes. Uh, First-time guest, long-time listener, I guess is the best way to say it. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been in the game for a long time. Started out in agency recruiting back in the dot-com boom, and then experienced the bus as well. But I moved over to a startup from there. And then uh, started my own headhunting shop after that for a couple of years in San Francisco. Uh, basically enough to feed my dog and play Frisbee all day in, in San Francisco. And then, uh, then moved into campus recruiting for a few years for Deloitte. And then moved into international recruiting. And then by luck, got into Amazon in 2007 and 2007, 2006, spent eight years helping Amazon become the behemoth that it is and was really fortunate to um, learn the ropes at, really at Amazon. And then I uh, had a great opportunity to move to Colorado, do some recruiting for high volume recruiting. You can see a trend here. Did a lot of different <laughs> types of recruiting, but uh, high volume recruiting for Vail Resorts, and then, uh, where did I go after that? Oh, I moved to Portland, where I am now. And I am at uh, was the leader of North American recruiting for Adidas. And now I'm so lucky to be uh, the VP of recruiting and talent acquisition for a great pre-IPO company called StockX. So I don't know if you wanted my resume, but I just gave it to you. <laughs> so, that was awesome. I mean, so if anyone has any doubts about the credentials about the, you know, for the conversation we're about to have, there you go. Well, I think it, you know, given your background and sort of you've lived have cycles, you've lived technological waves, and you've seen different contexts, I'd love to hear from you kind of how you've seen recruiting change, right? And, you know, one of the things Patrick didn't talk about is he also advises job seekers and does really cool stuff on helping people land jobs. So you bring that lens to it. 
How has the recruiting sort of landscape and process changed over the 20 years you've been doing it? Oh, it's been crazy. There's there's a lot of change, but there's also some consistency as well. So let me let me talk a little bit about the change from a recruiting aspect. Back in the day, not to age myself too much, but back in the day, we used to have physical resumes or and we'd have to go to career fairs to find candidates and we were going through phone books and cold calling people. I mean, all of these things were happening back in the day. Access to candidates has become so much easier on the recruiting side. We can find candidates through job boards, through resume databases, through, I mean, let's be honest, LinkedIn wasn't around back then. So, I mean, we were still on green screens with email. So to be able to get to candidates quicker has opened up the doors from recruiting. We, are, we have the opportunity to find candidates just so much easier. Those are the things that have changed. Technology has really been the, at the forefront of it. And now with AI, it's, it's even faster. Candidates are coming to us. But from a candidate perspective, some things have stayed the same. The ability to clearly be able to tell your story quickly has always mattered. The idea of having a seven-page resume has never worked. <laughs> yeah. You always want to be able to tell your story quickly and effectively, and that, that's stayed the same over the last 20 years. You know, it's interesting when you look at the headlines around the current talent pool, and it's like, oh, people are unloyal, people job hop, you know, job tenure shrinking, But hearing you talk, I actually, I don't know, I want to flip it. I wonder if part of what is happening is the friction for change and and pursuit has gone so low, right? Like before, to find who was open to work, using those words specifically, was hard, right? So I'd have to email 100 people and maybe I'd get a 10% response rate because 50% were actually interested. Now... That's just like a filter I can do. So like my efficacy went up. And also just like signaling that I opened was open to work. That was hard. There was no platform where I could just put myself on the market. And so I'm wondering if it's become so much easier to hire, like poaching is easier and, you know, enticing people. And so then that like, you know, we're in the midst of all sorts of, you know, writer strikes, auto workers strikes, like if these things are having, I'm getting pretty like meta here, but like all these things are creating these like micro fissures in a bigger system, but in aggregate are making like the labor markets really competitive, really tricky and, and like far more transactional than they used to be. Well, I mean, Dave, there's no doubt that the access to technology has made it easier for recruiters to find candidates and candidates to find jobs, which then has the effect that you're talking about, about tenure changing. I mean, when my dad was in his job, he stayed in the same job. He was a physician, but he stayed in the same job for 40 years, right? Because he didn't really know anything else. There were people coming, knocking down his door. Right Now that's all changed. And honestly, I think... The, the effect that LinkedIn has had in terms of tenure and the ability to move job to job and just know what's out there. I mean, 
you have you used to have to look through the classifieds to see where jobs were. I mean, most people listening to you probably have never looked in the classified before in their life. And so just that alone, and then that classified was only for your city or your town. Now think about it. I can go look for, I'm in Portland, Oregon. I could go look in your backyard in Florida and look for a job or this whole idea of remote work. So it's changed the game completely. And, you know, as a recruiter, to segue back to that real quick, tenure doesn't matter like it used to. Yeah. In fact, it's almost the reverse. If I look at somebody who's had 15 years at a job, that might be a mark against them because wow, you've spent 15 years at a company and you've been in the same job? If you've jumped within that company to different jobs, well, that's great. But if you've been in the same role for 15 years, I'm going to ask a question, why? That doesn't make sense to me. We want to see people who've actually progressed. I'm going to put a pin in that one for when we talk about the resumes and what we're looking for, because that's an interesting one that I think requires nuance to fully get, because I think a lot of people would want to come after us for saying, you can't judge people so quickly. There's a lot of nuance and a lot of knowledge in what you just said. But talking about other things that have really changed the process, like one that I think a lot about is interviewing over Zoom, right? Like there was a built-in friction into the system that made it harder to job search. Right. Like, you know, I remember I've seen someone would come into the office and they're dressed up and always the first joke is like, oh, going on a job interview today. Right. And always the response was, no, it's a laundry day. And it's like, you know, that was kind of like the joke. But I do think that that had far more like psychological consequences. I, I believe that we are generally all of high integrity and we don't like to lie. And that was a situation that forced us to lie. Right. Like, uh, uh, I, I need to go to lunch. I need to take my kids to the doctor. I have an appointment. And, and people don't like to do that. And there was enough friction where people were just like, look, I'll just stay put. It's really uncomfortable to job search. It's uncomfortable to put myself out there like that, even if I'm not happy. I think now to like take 30 minutes to hop on a Zoom is much easier. And I think like less emotionally taxing to engage in those activities than it was to like travel 30 minutes change your clothes, you know, to do all these like on-site interviewing versus now, at least like the first part of the process can be remote or virtual. Any thoughts on like the impacts of sort of Zoom meeting and also how maybe even like COVID expedited that because everyone was like, hey, we can do this now. But yeah, like virtual interviewing versus on-site interviewing. And that's where I was going to go. I remember when I was at Amazon, there was a push to start to leverage video interviewing. And especially for high volume hiring, we were doing a bunch of operation stuff. And there was a lot of resistance um, out there in the community, not necessarily due to Amazon, but just in the idea of video interviewing. Oh, you want me to hop online and you don't want to meet me in person? A ton of resistance. And there were only a few companies doing it at the time external companies. Now, I mean, you can't hop anywhere without seeing a company that does video interviewing or things like that. And I firmly believe not only did COVID make that change where we were forced into that environment, but just the advent of technology, you know, whether it's social media, when you're, you know, any of us who have kids, you said you had two little ones, I mean, they're probably on their device watching whatever, you know, a Labrador in their pool or whatever. I mean, 
it's just become more acceptable to be on video than it was before. And so from a recruiting standpoint, we've had to adapt to your first question, being able to adapt to technology. We hold meetings not only on video, but now that we're doing interviews, being able to adapt and be a candidate to be able to sell yourself on video is key and how to show up. You know, one of the things about Teal that I think is so awesome and that I love your your post that you do is about customization and tailoring. There's no difference in terms of video, right? Like you need to know your audience as well. If you show up on a suit and tie to a startup, you're giving off the wrong vibe. No different than if you're having, you know, I'll keep on going back to this, a seven-page resume for a startup. That's just not going to work. So you need to you need to understand the environment and videos just made things a lot more accessible, but the same rules apply. Do your research and be ready to uh, understand your audience. So I'm finding myself changing one of my sort of hard held beliefs at the moment was I never thought like asynchronous interviewing. I have a tendency to do that to people, by the way, Dave. It, well, good, good. I, I, I get people, if, if they're going A to B, I'll, I'll somehow get them Z to G to D real quick. I don't know why that is, but it happens. That's a great quality. Because I feel like everything, <laughs> I've always liked like strong opinions loosely held as kind of a saying. And so, you know, people would ask me, hey, do you think, so I'll add a qualifying word, do you think asynchronous video would work? Because right? we're using the word video. So I think synchronous video works. That's Zoom. That's how you and I are talking to each other right now. But I was like, no, 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 asynchronous video. People have tried that time and time again. It doesn't work. It's like not great for the candidate. It's like ripe with bias. But I mean, I don't know. We're doing a video interview now. Like it's a different thing to talk to myself into a recording. But I don't know, like with the progression of things, maybe there is a world where asynchronous, given like the speed and the volume and where technology is going, you have any thoughts on asynchronous video, because you've probably seen it. I think it was like a wave when YouTube came out and when TikTok came out and it's just never taken. Well, I mean, I, I would argue that in some circles it has taken in high volume. It definitely happens more than in a corporate or, or tech role, sometimes in tech as well. So it's definitely going. But I mean, Dave, to your point, technology is changing the game. A Hop on LinkedIn and you'll see a hundred posts about videos being done with an AI bot. How is that any different than what you're talking about? Yep. You're just talking to a computer rather than recording yourself. And so the game is changing and the game will continue to change. It's how do you as a candidate adapt to that? I mean, we're doing ourselves a disservice if we don't believe that AI is going to change recruiting. It is, it has, it will, and it will continue to do so. Will it be... You clicking a button, click record, and answering a question? I don't think so. I, th I think that has been tried to your point. And it works sometimes, but it, it's, not, it's not the best experience, and I'm not a fan of it personally. But is AI and talking... Like, Dave, I don't know if you're real here. <laughs> like, you could be <laughs> AI, and I could be talking there. I mean, like, that's how it's progressing so fast. And I, I think we just have to be ready for those changes and be open to them. It's not always bad if it's done with the candidate in mind. And if we can figure that out, I think it'll be great. Uh, like all my sci-fi tingles are going off, right? Because like, <laughs> it's less about asynchronicity 
and more the perception of synchronicity. So there is a world where you could have a virtual interviewer that like asks the questions and can kind of go through the motions. So, okay, so I think these things require different contexts and something we haven't really covered on the show and and given your experience, I think is a great place to do this because the job search advice generally gets just clumped, but it really does not work. It, it's contextual, it really matters. And you've already used a couple different words like high volume, tech, and they're probably fundamentally different. And so the advice would be different. So would love to hear the kind of categorization of these like types of recruiting, which then can inform some of the stuff we talk about after. Yeah. Uh, and again, I'm, I'll, I'll put a plug in for Teal here because it's one of the things that I think your service does so well, which is this idea of tailoring, this idea of um, treating your job search not as one Glob, or in our car, in our comic book world, the blob, right? We like he's, <laughs> we don't want to think about him that way, but we want to think of our job search in this tailored way because not only in recruiting, but every single job is different. Whether you're a campus hire or early career hire, the way you approach your job search is so much different than an executive. Is so much different than a high volume hourly employee, so much different than your corporate person. I mean, I could do this all day. We could spend the next 30 minutes breaking it down. But the, And recruiting for each one of those, any recruiter who says they recruit the same for any one of those is, is lying to you because it's not true. The way we approach an, an hourly recruit is so much different than we approach early career or, or corporate. We're looking for different things. And so we have to change our recruiting techniques, how we review a resume, how we talk to a candidate, all of those things, how we talk to a hiring manager, all of those things change based on that, that categorization or that persona. So to list the, a few that I heard is, so there's high volume as a term, right? That can be like, and I, another way to think about this is like how people look for jobs as recruiters. So you could be a high volume recruiter. That might be like hourly you know, these are jobs that are like pickers at an Amazon facility. And, and I would imagine you're like, you're hiring lots of them. Um, and they tend to be, possibly be like lower wages. Yeah, the same job over and over and over. Sorry, sorry, I just wanted to interrupt you there. Yeah, okay, no, cool. Jump in. This is great. I mean, you're the expert here. I'm just trying to kind of categorize it. Yeah, yeah. No, the way you said it, the hourly, you can think of one is hourly versus a salary and hourly pay versus a corporate salary type pay. But Think of the same job over and over and over. Like in my world, you mentioned one of them, like the, the warehouse worker or when I work for a ski resort, the, the lift operator, right? Like those are hourly roles and very important jobs, but we're hiring the same profile over and over and over. And normally we're under a time constraint to hire those as recruiters. So when we look at a candidate, we're looking for just a few key things, like do they meet the minimum qualifications? Are they able to work the hours? And then we move on. And four to six seconds, right? Like very, very fast look, reviewing that candidate profile. Um, so that's like an hourly profile. Executive, I'm gonna jump ahead, or you go ahead. No, no, go ahead, because that's perfect. I think those, like understanding those attributes, because I think like, again, some of the advice that's out there just gets generalized. And so, I think it yeah. 
you know, people question these, you know, four to six seconds, like, okay, well, now that I understand it in that context, because I'm talking about like thousands of resumes and I need to hire hundreds of people. Okay, that makes sense. And the things I'm looking for are not that complex, like as do they know a software language? It's like, no, are they available from nine to five? And like, can they work these days? Perfect. It's like, can the, the kind of criteria are less strenuous and so easier to discern in a short amount of time. Right. But, but to your point, like four to six seconds for hourly, yeah, that makes sense, right? We're looking at a thousand applications, whatever. If you translate that to, let's say, your marketing manager job or your finance manager, right? That's no longer hourly. Now we're looking at it in a corporate type setting. The current job market is one that there's a lot of marketing managers out there. There are a lot of finance managers who are applying to this job. So the recruiter looking at that resume, their criteria changes from that hourly, but it's still those the still the same thing kind of applies for the candidate, which is how can you sell yourself as fast as possible? Mm -hmm. Because knowing the recruiter is looking at a thousand. I mean, one of our coaches at Pop Candy recently had a job where they had, I, I can't remember the exact job, but it was something like 1,200 applications in 35 hours. Wow. 1,200 applications in 35 hours. They ended up selecting something like 2.2% for recruiting review. So 1,200, 2.2 is like 25 people only got talked to. So they reviewed all 1,200 because they spent four to six seconds on each one, which added up to a ton of hours. But still, it's you, you need to be able to sell yourself quickly. So that's more of a professional position. Um, I just want this for, for completeness. So there's campus recruiting is a term that's used. That's like if you're coming fresh out of school or yeah. the criteria might be looked at. Then And then even in then professional, we'll just bucket into two for now to keep it simple. Executive and everyone else. Did that feel like four macro buckets, like anyone we're missing? I think that's fair. I mean, you, you can look at that from a progression standpoint, right? Like you have your campus, early career, your professional experienced, and then you have your executive. So that that's kind of your timeline from there. But then you have functionally different. Then you have, mm -hmm. you know, your high volume, you have your, then you get into your marketing, finance and all of those. But yeah, that, that kind, kind of timeline that you said is, is a good way to look at it. And for anyone who wants to consider recruiting as a career path, yeah, I like to sort of talk about that as well. I mean, there is like the more senior positions you're recruiting for, my guess is the higher compensation you can make as well, because these are harder folks to land. Yeah. I, I mean, in my dissertation at the beginning about my background, one of the things that I, uh, that I focused on in growing my career was to get exposure as a recruiter in all aspects that we kind of talked about, right? Like hop on my LinkedIn, you'll see like, I've done campus, I've done agency, I've done executive, I've done high volume, I've done corporate. And all of those have led me to be, I'm not going to say a master, but I have some knowledge of talent acquisition. And so as a recruiter, having all of those different things, there's literally experts. One of my mentors 
leads all of university recruiting for a great company. And she's done that for 20, for 30 years and is just an amazing leader in university campus recruiting. I have other uh, mentors who are leaders in executive recruiting. And to your point, they can either do that in-house for companies or they can take it to executive search firms where you can make gazillions of dollars if you're very good at what you do. So I love that we've shown like the nuance and layers to recruiting. And again, I think in a place like LinkedIn, everyone just wants to sort of shit on recruiters and clump them all into like one group. And there's, there's a lot of nuance. Look, honestly, as we're growing Teal, I was kind of like, yeah, you know what? Like, I really believe in like founder-led recruiting. I should do the bulk of it. The hiring managers should do it. And now as we're like, we're starting to fill a few more positions and it's like multiple people need to be involved in the process. I'm like, wait, this is like project management. You know, if we drop the ball, the candidate has a really bad experience and it's just become like more practically clear why we should probably hire a full-time recruiter. Like this is a full-time job with a lot of nuance and a lot of care. I mean, listen, are we doctors? No, right? I like, you don't have to have a neurosurgeon in this and that. Or like, no one's going to die if you're, if you're working with a recruiter. But we all have our levels of expertise in what we do. I've met some amazing campus recruiters, absolutely incredible, who can relate, can understand the nuance there. And then they're amazing marketing recruiters. So as we gain our specialization, as I slur that word, specialization, (laughs) I mean, we're just like any other field. To treat a recruiter as a recruiter as a recruiter is not fair. All right, well, that was super helpful. I think that really paints a really good picture of the depth of that profession. So given, you know, kind of more what you're doing today, which I would say, well, now you're leading recruiters, but it's more of a office job type company and you've got a bit of experience there. And a lot of our listeners, I'd say, sort of are in that group. We'd love to dive into how do you evaluate candidates? Like, you know, we're in a job market where there's more candidates than there are jobs. Standing out is important, but also even for recruiters, like the volume you know, Mike Pedito said it best, you know, it went from having like a team of 20 recruiters that could, that were looking at a total of, you know, 200 applicants to like one recruiter looking at 500. So like the market is, is very different right now. So when you're, I don't know how much of this you're doing on a day-to-day basis right now, but you know, you obviously know enough about it to talk about it. Like what's your process for deciding to move a resume for a candidate I also like to decouple the candidate. I think it's really important that people understand this as language. We have to evaluate the resume. We can't evaluate you as a person because we don't know you and we don't know all the things about you. So all we can operate from is the information you provided, which is the resume. So I'd like to tell people, it's like this resume is not qualified. You may be qualified. Like you may have skills that are not on this resume. So I intentionally use that distinction in language. It's like this resume is not qualified. That's such a great point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, language is so important. Language is so important, and it's an important thing on how we as recruiters review resumes and applications, right? Not to go on a too big of a tangent here, there's a whole thread or, or side topic about candidates being ghosted. I actually find that somewhat offensive because <laughs> as recruiters, most of us are in this field because we actually mm-hmm. are in it to help people, right? Like, 
we have altruistic reasons. Yeah, we're trying to make a living and all that, but we're actually here because the thrill of finding a job for somebody is amazing. So I did a whole post on this on Pop Candy about it, where it's not about ghosting candidates when you apply. When you apply and there's 1,200 people, we do our best to get back in touch with everybody, but you can't assume that you're going to you're qualified and that we're going to do a phone screen with you. It's just not going to happen. If you're qualified, you also have to assume that there might be other people who are more qualified than you. And so the the chances, unfortunately, in this job market are very slim that you're going to get selected. But as a recruiter, the way that we evaluate candidates, I would use the lens of two things. One, we as recruiters, whether we're agency or whether we're corporate, those are typically the two types of recruiters. We either work for a company or we work for an agency who's representing a company. Our job is ultimately to fill the job. And so as we're looking at a resume, we're matching it up to a job description. We're matching it up to the qualifications that have been either told to us or that we understand the job to be, especially if we've been recruiting for a job for a while. And so when we look at that resume, the first thing, first five seconds that we're going to say is like, does this match the job description? Five seconds, right? We're, we're drawing that parallel in five seconds. Does this match the job description? Do I believe that there's some sort of match? And we're going to do that in literally uh, a three-step process. I mean, I'm making this up a little bit as I go, but like, what's the first thing we see on the resume? It's how it looks. Does it look format? Is it clear? Can I digest what I'm looking at without actually reading anything? Do I believe I'm going to digest this? If I believe I can, I'm going to actually start reading it. And then I'm going to look at that objective summary or those first couple lines that you have. You know, there's a big debate whether or not you have an objective or a summary at the beginning. I'm in favor of it because anybody who knows me knows I'm pretty much an idiot. And so if you tell me what you're looking for, I'm going to read it, right? I'm seeking a role in X, which matches up the job description. A professional in Y, which ties to the job description. Okay, now we got a connection. Then I'm going to look at that first job. I'm going to look at that title of that first job. What is the match with what I'm looking for as a recruiter? Is there a parallel? If I'm looking for a marketing job and it says finance, yeah. it's tough. I, why? What, what's going to tell me that I'm going to move forward? Now, you might have it further down your resume, but if you didn't hook me at the beginning, I might not ever see it. And that's the, tr- that's the truth of that. Yeah, in this remote work environment, I might look where you're located or I might not. It depends on the job. So those are a couple of things we'll look at. So this is a tricky one, right? Like job titles. Job titles are so complicated because ultimately the company sets them. But it's kind of what we use. We use our, right? So I call it whatever, career specialist. But really, that's a customer support rep. And so how do you like process job titles? Like when you're looking at them, like are you, do you have like a synonym set in your mind of like these are like the five titles, even though we're looking for senior product marketing manager, I'm also okay with like these five or six titles. Is it, do you have like systems that help you with that? Or is it kind of in your head? Cause like, I think a lot of this is, but like, as you're building out that 
screening criteria? Well, I, I think you're 100% right. Like for the recruiters who've been this in this a while, right? Like if we see a marketing manager and somebody has a, a senior product manager up there, like we know that there's some parallels. We know, and then that might cause us to look to the bullet points on there and dive deeper. I, I normally, if I'm looking at a customer service manager and it says customer experience manager, okay, we're pretty close or customer success. Yeah, I can understand that there's some parallels there. And that'll let me read a couple bullet points. And if if we're seeing a match, then I'll keep on reading. But if we go sideways, then I'm moving on. I'm like, oh, I was wrong. And then I recalibrate in my brain. Okay, maybe customer experience manager isn't a parallel. But normally I'll read one or two bullet points there. Like the visual I'm making in my mind as I hear you talk is like, well, the internet's so fast these days. I might be dating myself, but I remember like you would go to the internet and like first you get like the blurry version of the image and then it would like progressively reveal. And I feel like that's kind of what recruiters do. It's not like a binary immediate four or five seconds. And I think that gets lost in a lot of like the nice catchy hooks. It's really a like progressive ingestion in our mind. It's like I do an initial screen to your point. It's like, this is this even cohesive? Okay, yes, most pass that, right? Like it has to be like horribly egregious to like not pass that. Then it's like, okay, cool. Let me look. Okay, cool. Top. Okay, got it. Okay, do they have the job titles? Okay, yes. And then eventually I'm like, okay, now I'm actually reading all the bullets. Cause like, you know, and I like to say like the job of each word on the resume is to get you to convince you to read the next word. And that's kind of what's happening. And, and and even like the one one page advice, I'm like, look, I just tell people always like if if the first page is not good, there's no chance of reading the second page. If the second page is good, they'll read the third page. No chance. And so it's like this this idea that just needs to progressively get better, and that it's not this like binary. Okay, I counted six seconds. Yes, no. It's not a timer. It's actually like you just need to keep winning them over. Yeah, I mean, it's it's averages, right? I might spend five minutes on a resume, but I might mm -hmm. spend one second on others that don't work. I mean, I love your analogy of the the picture getting clearer. It took me to those, you remember those things back in like, I don't know, the 1990s, 2000s, where you totally. stare at it for 15 yeah, minutes cross your eyes. or 15 seconds and then the image <laughs> would show itself. Yeah, it was ridiculous. But that's, that's kind of where... I'm going, and I think what you're saying, like a, a candidate's resume or application needs to become clearer as I look at it. If it doesn't, then I'm giving up and I'm moving on. And I just see so many of those now where either it's just one job with 50 bullet points. I'm never going to read it. I'm, I'm just never going to read that many bullet points. If you can't tell me in three to four bullet points what you've done, or why it's relevant, I'm not going to look at it. If you have a skills section that is two paragraphs long because you've just added it for keywords, that's stupid. One, I'm not going to review it. And two, you run the danger of a recruiter seeing that and being like, mm -hmm. this person's trying to game the system. I'm not going to review it and move them on. Hey, another piece of advice, the people who apply to 50 jobs at the same company all at once, as recruiters, we can see how many jobs you've applied for. And if you're just spamming a company, 
unfortunately, right or wrong, I, I'm, I'm not making any judgment on you, the person. I'm just saying the resume, it, it, becomes, a, it becomes a mark in the recruiter's head. We're like AI in a lot of ways. Like we're learning that Dave Fano has applied to our job, uh, applied to our company a thousand times, and he hasn't applied for any job that he's qualified for. Well, we're automatically going to move him on. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to like not have real world experience with that one. And I was like, yeah, sure, try it. And then now that we've implemented an ATS and we've got two jobs that are like, they were both marketing jobs, but like one was an SEO job and one was like social media. And there was enough of a difference at the same a person applied to both. And I was like, which one are you good at? Like, which one do you want to be good at? Which like, what's your opinion that I'm going to be a professional at this? And it's like, if you can apply to both and you think you're genuinely qualified for both and like, I'm not sure... Like, I don't know, there's going to be someone who's got conviction around being good at one. And, you know, maybe there's a world where they do that. But yeah, I agree with you. Well, we're running up on time, so we could have kept going for hours. There's so many good stuff here. It's a good, good, good fodder for the next one. But how can folks follow along with you, you know, stay in touch? How can they be helpful to you? Uh, what's the best way for them to follow you? First, Dave, thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. This was awesome. Can't wait to sync back up with you, talk <laughs> comic books, talk recruiting, whatever you want to do. I'm all on board. But really, the main way is follow me on LinkedIn. Um, that would be great. Uh, Patrick Payne, P-A-Y-N-E. Or you can come visit us at Pop Candy, P-O-P-C-A-N-D-I, and where we provide advice, just like what we've talk been talking about from a recruiter's perspective to job seekers. New company, only been around a couple months but uh, having some fun and have some great uh, info to share. So those are the two main ways. Amazing. We will link to those in the description. Patrick, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I regret that we talked about comic books so much at the beginning because I ate up some of our time, but it's just a good excuse <laughs> to, that was before we recorded. So sorry, folks, you missed out on the comic book stuff, but it ate up a little bit of our job search stuff, but it's a good excuse to do this again. Thank you so much. This was awesome. I had a, a ton of fun and uh, we'll see you again soon. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. We are here to help job seekers. The point of this show is to give you the behind the scenes look at the hiring practices of companies and to debunk a lot of the myths and fear mongering that's out there. So if you like the show, please subscribe. Would love for you to write me on LinkedIn or comment on one of my posts if you'd like to be a guest. We're really looking for practitioners that are in the hiring role, whether it be a hiring manager or a recruiter. We wanna give people that inside view to what it looks like like to be hired and to understand the inside view of how companies operate. So please let me know. And if you're job searching, check out Teal, tealhq.com. We are here to help you land a job you love. All right, thanks. And we'll catch you on the next one.